0: Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I am Francesco, your host, podcasting from the headquarters of Ametix Technologies based in Belgium. I would like to thank all the followers of uh, this episode and, of course, the podcast in general. I really appreciate that. Uh, And I also want to remind you that we just started a community around the podcast on the Discord channel. You can find the coordinates of the channel in uh, the show notes of these episodes and uh, the website datascienceatom.com. So just take your time and join us because it's very nice to have you there and of course uh, get to know some of your opinions about the past episode and of course we can propose also new ones. So it would be very nice to have a chat there. Now in this episode I would like to uh, speak about something that is extremely useful and it has shown to have an amazing impact in the, in the research, uh, especially when it comes to computer vision, but it's starting to get noticed also in other domains, uh, you know, with numerical examples and not just with images. I'm talking about GANs, uh, Generative Adversarial Networks, which are a very important topic and uh, a very nice one, to be honest with you. I have always a lot of fun whenever I have to implement a GAN. Also because it's something that is very visual and um, we've seen generating faces human faces as well as uh, sounds uh, and uh, all the technology behind all these f- very fun examples is uh, is indeed the generative adversarial networks so of course in this episode i don't want to just talk about gans per se but i would like to speak about an important aspect of gan which is uh, stabilization and so the problem uh, is that these methods are yes very powerful very interesting but uh, it's also true that they are not really stable in terms of, you know, during the training procedure. And so most of the times when you are really not, um, you know, keen and attentive to the details and to the hyperparameters or to many other things that we will discuss in the episode, you will find these networks not to perform as you as you want or as you expected. So, there are a lot of problems with GANs, so it's not a very easy thing to do when you you train a a generative uh, adversarial network. And one particular problem of of these methods is called mode collapse. The mode collapse uh, is, in fact, something that we'll discuss extensively in a minute, but essentially it consists in uh, the... Incapability of the network to generate samples that are diverse from the already generated ones, and so it ends—you know—the network ends up generating something that always looks the same. So, if you are using GANs to generate, for example, uh, synthetic data or or fake images or whatever, uh, you are finding that these fake samples, these synthetic samples, are they all they all look the same, and so. In fact, there is no real uh, diversification of the generated sample. There is another very important problem, which is the vanishing gradients that it usually affects all deep architectures, in fact. Also, many convolutional networks are affected by this problem. But GANs in particular are affected by this issue for one simple reason. is because we have, uh, uh, you know, two networks instead of one, first of all. And so, uh, and many other reasons, of course, but we'll, uh, we'll get into details in a minute. Uh, In fact, let me give you a very brief explanation of what guns are, even though uh, we already discussed some of these details in previous episodes, but you know, just for you to, you know, to stay here in this show and just relax, and uh, I'm gonna start from the beginning, because I believe that uh, a good refresh never hurts when we talk about GANs, in fact, we are talking about at least two networks that collaborate with each other. In fact, they compete with each other in order to train a generator that will start generating things or samples that look like the original ones. So, in fact a generative adversarial network is composed by a generator and a discriminator and the task of the generators and a discriminator is very simple well the generator as the name says it has to generate samples of course it has to generate samples that are statistically distributed as the original samples the samples you are training on and the discriminator, of course, as the is usually a classifier that is um, a network, another neural network that learns how to distinguish real samples from generated generated samples. And so the problem of these two things, you know, is that the loss function that we are going to minimize the loss function is the function that we are going to perform the optimizer on uh, that for a regular neural network is using stochastic gradient descent for example is the uh, the difference for example between the target and uh, the predicted labels in this case the loss function is something a bit more complicated because it has to consider both the generator and the discriminator's losses uh, in order to improve and uh, both the networks and so in fact the loss function of a gun is usually composed by two parts one for the discriminator and one for the generator as i mentioned already there are a lot of problems with uh, uh, training uh, generative adversarial networks one in particular is for example convergence So, it's uh, very difficult to understand if the network that you just implemented is going to converge somehow or to some kind of equilibrium between the generator and the discriminator. And so, you know, you need uh, to do a bit of math to understand if uh, indeed there is convergence, there will be convergence or not. And why I'm saying that is because the generator and the discriminator, in fact, they compete with each other. And uh, they compete until they reach an equilibrium, which is the point at which the generator cannot generate anything better than what it already did generate. And so, something that looks as close as possible to the original data. And the discriminator, of course, cannot distinguish anymore uh, between fake and uh, real samples. And so in fact there is a kind of a 50 50 percent probability for the, for the discriminator to distinguish between fake and real. So when we get there, it means that the discriminator cannot longer can no longer discriminate, right? Uh, well it means that the generator is so good that it becomes extremely difficult for the discriminator to understand if that particular sample was fake or was real. But it can also mean that the discriminator sucks, and so, you know, that 50% is due to the fact that the discriminator is just terrible, and it cannot really distinguish between fake and and real, even when fakes are really fakes, like are really of bad quality. So, that's a problem, the problem of convergence. Uh, There is another issue that I just mentioned. It's the vanishing gradient issue and uh, that basically is uh, due to the fact that uh, uh, we you know some gradients are close to zero during training and this usually happens when uh, we have a super accurate discriminator for which we have um, a uh, you know 100 percent chance that the discriminator in fact distinguishes a fake from a real one might think that when the discriminator predicts with extremely high accuracy, 100% accuracy, a real sample, and 100% accuracy, a fake sample, well, then it means that, um, in fact, the loss function is squashed to zero, uh, which means that uh, the gradients are very close to zero. And this, in turn, will provide very little feedback to the generator, slowing down the training or or stopping the learning completely. And so this is a problem that, uh, you know, researchers have noticed also in very deep networks. And uh, it also affects the generative other networks. A third problem of, uh, of GANs is, of course, mode collapse. So the mode collapse is uh, something that it's, uh, it's really subtle because it, um, in fact, prevents the generator from generating samples that are different. And so, the generator ends up generating always the same things or things that are very close to to the generated sample. And this is a problem because also it doesn't create diversity in the synthetic data. And so, you will find that the the statistical distribution of the generated data is in fact, uh, you know, just concentrated in particular area of the dimensional space, uh, and so probably around just one value, and so it's not really useful to uh, play with this synthetic data anyway. The fourth problem, I think, is uh, more kind of, I'm not saying philosophical, but it's definitely less technical, which is the way we evaluate um, GANs. And so it's very difficult to evaluate a GAN, how good a GAN is, because it's very difficult to, you know, we're not talking about counting how many times we get it right or wrong. In this case, we are looking at distributions. And so we have to find a way to measure how far are we from the original distribution of samples, um, which, of course, you know, there are statistical tools that allow you to do so, for example, the so-called kullback leibler divergence, and many other statistical tools that allow you to measure the difference between any two distributions. But also in that case, if you have, for example, tabular data, and so imagine a, an input data set of, let's say, 10 columns, each column have its own distribution. If you just you know, match or measure how far you are uh, from the distribution, from the target distribution on a column basis, well, that in fact, it still doesn't tell you anything about the joint distribution or the joint probability. And so, in fact, the fact that you are approximating very well one column doesn't tell you anything about, for example, two columns or three columns taken together or even all the columns taken together. So, you know, there are it's very challenging for, to measure these things. And the, the last thing is that it's very difficult to measure uh, statistical distributions when you're in front of text, for example, or when you're in front of categorical variables. So, you know, things are not only numeric in data science. And so many times you can have classes, labels, you can have text, you can have images, you can have a lot of data types. And, you know, you, it's very difficult to find one metric that works for everyone. These are the challenges of GANs. Now, of course, there's been a lot of research in the field and I'm very glad to, uh, you know, open my laptop every morning and find new stuff about GANs and new findings. And uh, it's a very active research area uh, and I'm really glad for that. And in fact, there are several ways researchers have been improving GANs. So, probably the most extensively studied category uh, is uh, architectures. So, you know, we have seen researchers playing a lot with uh, the way we put together layers and neurons in, uh, in deep learning. And that means playing with the modified architectures. So, we have seen a lot of architectures, there are so many in the literature, it's going to be impossible to mention them all in this episode, but just to mention a few, we started with convolutional GANs that were applied on computer vision tasks, and then we had, of course, deep convolutional GANs, so-called DC GAN, which is probably the state of the art on many computer vision tasks at the moment. Of course, the, the convolutional gun, you know, as the word says, it applies a series of convolutional operations to both the generator and the discriminator. And so, in fact, we just insert convolutions in the generator and the discriminator in both the two networks. And um, and that's why this thing works very well for computer vision tasks. Then we also have a self-attention gun, also SAGAN, uh, that incorporated a self-attention mechanism into the design, into the architecture architecture. We have discussed the self-attention mechanism and the transformer in one of the previous episodes, so feel free to get it back and share it or just listen to it again. Because the self-attention, in fact, is used in a lot of networks today, especially in NLP, for NLP tasks. But of course, computer vision is something that is a field that has seen a lot of these new architectures in action. Again, still playing with the uh, modified architectural architectures for GAN, uh, we have uh, the stacked GAN, or SGAN, which uh, is composed by a stack of uh, pairs of generators and discriminators. And each of these consists of uh, an encoder and a decoder on top of each pair. So, there are basically multiple generators and discriminators. And on top of this, you know, we have uh, the... Uh, autoencoder architecture right so what is the autoencoder very simply the autoencoder allows you to encode the input in usually a lower dimensional space by trying to reconstruct the input from the input itself and so this would allow the networks to learn some sort of geometry of the data of the input data but projected or mapped into a lower dimensional space. So, for example, if you're starting from, uh, let's say, an image or an input uh, sequence of 100 dimensions, you can definitely try to reconstruct the same sequence by remapping and encoding this input of 100 dimensions to, for example, 10 dimensions. And then you will use the decoder to use these 10 dimensions and reconstruct the, um, the input signal which was of 100 dimensions. So if you go home with, 100, with, with an encoder, so with just the first part of the autoencoder network, you would basically have a very good estimator, a very good encoder, which means a very good way to squash the uh, input sequence into a lower dimensional space. So, this stuff is basically applied into a GAN as well, and the researchers have shown how they can, in fact, prevent mode collapse by calculating the discrepancy between generated and real images in the case of computer vision, but uh, samples in general uh, when we speak about numerical examples. Probably a very discussed GAN is a conditional GAN, or CGAN, that proposes a supervised approach that adds a label C to the generator and the discriminator. And so, usually, when we use a a traditional GAN, the generator is fed a random noise, so a random vector, and this random vector is transformed into something that looks like the original data. So, for example, if you're using a GAN to generate synthetic human faces, well, you feed the generator with a random vector, just noise, and the generator will, you know, try to generate a, a human face. Then you have, of course, the discriminator that will learn how to distinguish that fake from a real, and these, thing, these two things will go over and over again to, you know, to improve the way they generate and the way they discriminate. Now, If you have a conditional GAN, in fact, you you don't just feed the generator the random noise, but you also feed the class or the label. And so, for example, if you are generating, let's say, uh, female human faces, you know, you would feed the generator the random noise plus another label, I would say F. You know, that indicates that we, are, we want to generate a female uh, human face. And if you are generating a baby face, you would give another label, probably B. And if you are generating a, a, a man face, you probably give a label M right and so basically the generator takes into account the label as well so that's the major difference between conditional GAN and traditional GAN is that together with the random noise you also give a label and then you basically force the network you know kind of like a prior knowledge to the network to say hey I want to generate I want you to generate a male face or a female face or a baby face and so on. And so this would in fact narrow down the many possibilities that the generator can generate things and the generator will be forced to generate only things that belong to that particular label. So that's the trick behind conditional GAN and apparently it works pretty well, much, much better than a traditional GAN, especially for computer vision tasks. But frankly with you, I've been using this stuff also for numerical examples, and uh, it works much, much better, I must say. Another architecture researchers have been working quite extensively is the Wasserstein distance GAN, or W GAN or VGAN. In the case of the Wasserstein GAN, it's, uh, well, this, the, the, explaining how a Wasserstein GAN works, it's not easy, especially when, when, when you don't have a whiteboard in front of you. But in any case, I will try to communicate to you just the concept behind uh, behind the the vegan which is uh, in my opinion very smart uh, so we have to to explain that we have to go one step back to what the discriminator does as i mentioned the discriminator in fact learns is a classifier right it's a, usually a binary classifier that learns to distinguish between real examples and fake examples right so in fact, the output of the discriminator, it's almost always a, a Boolean or, or something that says zero and one, right? Uh, so usually it's like a, a two-bit output that, that tells me zero for real and one for, for fake or that way around. The problem is that when you have these two things, you know, when you have a, a binary classifier, kind of limited, uh, at least that's the speculation of, uh, of Wasserstein-Gahn, you're kind of limited because uh, in fact there's no you know it's black or white there are no shades of gray in between right and so when something goes right it goes right and when something goes wrong of course it goes wrong but there's no way to measure how wrong did we go or how right did we get in fact with the Wasserstein gun The discriminator doesn't just output one boolean, like a label that says true or false, zero or one, black or white, but it generates a scalar value, which is, uh, in fact, the quality of that real sample or the quality of that fake sample. And so there is much more information in that prediction. And uh, that's why the Wesselstein GAN works much better than traditional GAN. It's because it it is much closer to what we call in the jargon uh, actor-critic problems. And so there is a brand new horizon in front of us whenever we, uh, you know, instead of dealing with a label, true or false, we have to deal with a uh, a scalar that can go from negative infinity to infinity or, or even less, but still we are in, in, in front of a scalar that co- encodes the quality of a fake and the quality of a, of a real sample as it has been detected by the discriminator. So, this is much closer to what are called actor-critic problems and not just binary classifiers. So, that's why the Wasserstein gun, for several tasks, uh, it worked much better than traditional guns. There is another flavor that researchers are really interested in, um, you know, exploring, uh, which is the field of game theory. Now, when you will speak about GANs, in fact, we are speaking about two agents who compete with each other in order to improve the same, the same objective, right? Which is having, you know, building a very good looking fake example. Right. And so, this is the, the objective of the GAN overall, but we are using a competitive approach into improving both the networks, the generator and the discriminator. So, if you think, like, a GAN as um, a set of two agents, in fact, uh, you know, it's much easier to, at least from an intuitive perspective, to think about this, not in terms of machine learning, of pure machine learning, but in terms of game theory. And because in game theory, in fact, you have agents that play a game, whatever it is, and uh, they can compete with each other they can cooperate if they have a common objective uh, they can aggregate against another competitor and so on we can think about much more complex scenarios that in fact they belong to the field of game theory rather than the field of machine learning the idea of uh, uh, again as uh, a set of agents in the field of game theory is something that resembles the uh, the Nash Equilibrium. Now, the Nash Equilibrium is probably one of the most important concepts of the last century uh, that has been proposed by John Nash, one of my favorite mathematicians in history, probably after Fourier. I think Fourier is the best mathematician for me. Well, anyway, John Nash proposed the Nash equilibrium, which is very interesting. It basically tells you that there is a, an equilibrium, there is a point at which two competitors cannot perform any other action that will improve their own position in the game or that will provide any damage to their competitor. So it's a, a win-win situation. That's why it's called an equilibrium. And so, you know, if you have watched the movie A Beautiful Mind, if you haven't, please do, because there are very nice examples in the movie that it tells you. uh, First of all, it's a wonderful movie, but there are also very good examples for you to understand Nash Equilibrium if you don't really want to, you know, read one of these heavy books of math about Nash. But anyway, the Nash Equilibrium tells you there is one particular situation in which if I am performing this particular action, I will not improve my condition in the game and I will not damage my competitor either. And the same applies to my competitor. So he will never find another move that could damage me or could benefit himself. And so this is a situation in which both of us, we would perform the same action over and over again because that's the best we can do. And so if you think about again, we want to reach at that point to which the generator and the discriminator would not do, would not predict or generate anything differently, because that's the best thing that they can do. And so in fact, that's what we want from a GAN whenever these two things, you know, these two components compete with each other, in, in game theoretical terms, we want these two things to reach a Nash equilibrium. And so, well, there is a bit of research in that area, but to be honest, I couldn't find a lot of uh, literature, so this is quite new, and uh, there is a proof for the existence of the um, of the mixed strategy Nash equilibrium in GAN uh, with a sketch of the algorithm, but to be honest with you, I didn't quite understand, and uh, I don't feel really confident in explaining what I understood from that example but in fact other than that i personally didn't find anything you know i'm not saying valuable but anything concrete about you know how we can generalize these concepts to all possible GAN architectures that we might think of with all possible loss functions so the thing is much more complicated i think to be um, interpreted in uh, game theoretical terms, but of course I would be very eager to find some of these papers out there. Uh, I would be one of the first to read that stuff for sure. There is another field of research that um, it's called multi-agent GAN or MADGAN, which is kind of weird as, <laughs> as a name. And so uh, MADGAN is in fact using multiple generators and uh, one discriminator that not only identifies fake samples, but also determines the specific generator that produced the fake sample. And so, you know, that's something quite interesting because that would, by design, reduce or, well, mitigate the mode collapse problem just because we would be using multiple generators. And so, you know, if we, you know, the variation in the synthetic data would be much much easier to to reach just because there are indeed multiple networks with different hyperparameters with different weights that would be generating just different samples and so you know these are all tricks that researchers are using, uh, but of course you know there is the drawback of uh, having many more networks to calculate and to do stochastic gradient descent and to do optimization and all the things that we already do uh, on one model. And so from a computational perspective and complexity, thing can become a bit uh, a bit prohibitive, uh, at least for uh, for some of the. Well, most well-known examples and uh, realistic use cases. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, you know a bit more about GANs. Of course, uh, do not hesitate to come on the new channel on Discord and uh, talk to us. It's going to be a pleasure to share some time with you and uh, get to know some of your opinions on the past episode, and also feel free to propose topics for the new episodes. Probably you have the one episode that you would like to listen to in the near future. Well, then don't hesitate. Come on over and uh, chat with us. See you soon. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.